My name is Evan White, and you're listening to the Stories on Stage Davis podcast. Many of us celebrated the formal changing of leadership our country saw earlier this week. In fact, for many of us, it was a moment we'd been waiting for since 2016. Even so, we must acknowledge that our country is more divided now than it has been in a very long time. There will be continued strain, no doubt, as we move forward, but we will move forward toward unity. We are one people, even if we feel divided, and it's time to focus on what brings us together. Of course, this is where stories come in. This week's episode features the story It's a Girl by Jill Heffron, read by Stories on Stage Davis newcomer Tanya Lieberman. This is a story that is in many ways all about coming together. It also speaks to an experience we hear about from more and more people, and in this way serves as a path into the experience of someone else, which is what great stories can do. Stay tuned after the reading to hear Jill Heffron on the inspiration behind her story. But first, here's Tanya Lieberman reading It's a Girl. It's a Girl by Jill Heffron There was no funeral for Sharon's daughter, Alexa. Since there was no body to bury, there was no need to choose a coffin. She didn't perform Kriya, the Jewish tradition of rending one's clothes to represent grief and anger at the loss of a loved one. She didn't receive any sympathy casseroles or condolence cards, but her daughter was gone, all the same. Sharon is crying when the phone rings early Friday morning, and she sees her son Mike's name appear on the screen. She quickly wipes the tears, clears her throat, and answers the phone. Hi, honey, Sharon says. How are you? Good, Mike replies. Are we still on for dinner tonight? Of course, she says. I'm looking forward to seeing you. Should I bring some wine, Mike asks. I have something I want to tell you, and you may need a drink. Sharon laughs nervously. To say that Mike is full of surprises would be an understatement. How much wine am I going to need? She kids him. Then her natural inclination to worry kicks in. You're not having any health problems, are you? She asks. I'm great, Mom, really. He assures her, I've made a decision about something, and I'm hoping you will approve. Sharon manages to keep her tone light when she says, By now, I hope you know that no matter what you decide, I will always love you, honey. They say goodbye, and Sharon presses the phone against her heart. After the death of a loved one, Jews sit Shiva to allow them time to withdraw from the world those observing Shiva stop all other activities and focus on integrating and accepting their loss. Members of the community bring food and sit with the mourners. Often a minion, a group of ten adults, says the Kaddish with the mourners so that they aren't praying for their dead alone. After she received the news, Sharon also withdrew from the world. Although she did not sit Shiva and there was no minion to keep her company, she and her husband had divorced when the kids were little, and now Sharon lived alone. She took a week of sick time off of work and spent most of it sitting in an armchair, staring out the window, or crying over photos of the daughter she'd given birth to and raised, but whose decisions, as an adult, she was still struggling to understand and accept. It is dusk when the doorbell rings. Sharon is checking the chicken roasting in the oven, 
Her house is redolent with the smells her children associate with Friday night dinners. She hears a key being inserted in the front door, and then Mike's footsteps coming down the hallway into the kitchen. She turns to greet her son, and her heart skips a beat when their eyes meet. For a moment, Alexa is no longer gone. Mike smiles and says, Hi, Mom. And the image of Alexa slowly fades. Mike is a baritone, his voice deeper than Alexa's girlish mezzo-soprano. As he wraps his arms around his mother, Sharon feels the strength of his arms and the muscles in his chest and his back. He's been working out again. His beard tickles the side of her face. She closes her eyes and inhales the scent of her child. At the end of the Shiva, family and friends traditionally take a walk outside with the mourners to mark the beginning of their entry back into the world. The next period of mourning lasts a month and is called Shloshim, the Hebrew word for 30. Although mourners return to work during Shloshim, they are still not completely back in the world, traditionally avoiding parties and other large celebratory events. After her sick time was over, Sharon returned to work and went through the next month as if by rote. She was grateful that she had been an academic advisor at the local high school for over a decade and could do her job with both hands tied behind her back. She was close enough to a few of her colleagues to share her feelings about the loss of her daughter, but for the most part, she did her job, kept to herself, and went home to an empty house every night. Mike is handing Sharon the promised wine when the doorbell rings again. Mike's fiancée, Marie, usually joins them for Friday night dinner, but there is an event at the winery and she has had to work. Sharon hears her son, Stephen, in the front hallway, calling, Hello, anyone home? Man, it sure smells good in here. Stephen joins them in the kitchen, leaning down first to hug his mother and then his older brother. Sharon regards her son's embracing. Mike is slightly taller than she is, and his younger brother towers over him. Mike has his back to her, and Stephen looks over his brother's shoulder at her, his blue eyes dancing merrily. The oven timer goes off, and Sharon removes the chicken from the oven, carving it carefully and spooning the carrots and potatoes she had been roasting in a ceramic pan into a serving dish. Stephen retrieves a green salad and dressing from the refrigerator. Sharon slices the freshly baked challah, while Mike uncorks the wine. They sit down together at the table, pass the serving dishes, and begin to eat. Sharon watches her sons with satisfaction, pleased to see them both healthy and content. There is silence while they enjoy their dinners. The past remains unspoken. Shanat Ha'avel begins when Shloshim ends and lasts for seven months. In modern Judaism, the mourner's Kaddish is said every day for a close family member. Mourners are encouraged to start getting back to their lives while still honoring their dead through prayer. Sharon bought matching frames for photos of Alexa, Mike, and Stephen. Alexa's photo shows a solemn 13-year-old wearing a crown of pink roses and a matching bat mitzvah dress. Stephen proudly sports a rumpled, mud-and-grass-stained soccer uniform and his trademark grin. They had taken the photo just after he scored the winning goal his junior year of high school. Mike's photo was taken recently. In it, he's wearing a button-down light blue shirt and khaki pants. 
he's gazing lovingly at a glowing Marie who is proudly showing off her engagement ring. Sharon arranged the photos on her nightstand. They would be the last thing she saw before she went to sleep and the first thing she saw every morning. Every single day, for the next 11 months, she cut a flower from her garden or found a pretty stone or lit a candle and put it next to Alexa's photograph. She repeatedly reminded herself that she was grateful for her sons, but that didn't stop her from missing her daughter. Dinner is over. The dishes have been rinsed and stacked in the dishwasher. Sharon, Mike, and Stephen are engaged in desultory conversation, savoring the last of their wine. Sharon observes her sons from under her lashes. They keep exchanging glances. So, she says, glancing back and forth between the two of them, what did you want to talk to me about, Mike? Mike picks up his wine and takes a drink as if to fortify himself. Stephen gives him a reassuring, go on, man, look. Well, says Mike, sitting up straighter, Marie and I have been talking, and we agree that we both want children. Wow, okay, Sharon responds cautiously. After a beat, she asks, are you thinking about adoption? Stephen and Mike exchange another glance. Actually, Mike says, Marie would really like to have a baby of our own, one that has both her DNA and mine. Sharon finds herself at a loss for words. She knows what she says next is crucial, but she is tongue-tied trying to figure out how to get around the elephant in the room. Um, so what are you thinking, she ventures. I mean, you, you can't father, you don't have... How's this going to work? Mike fiddles with his wine glass and throws a helpless look at Stephen. Well, Mom, says Stephen with a grin, that's where I come in. At the end of Shana Ha'avel, Jews are expected to create a matzavah. This monument to the departed, usually a gravestone, is used to mark the burial site. Most American Jews unveil the monument during the month preceding the first anniversary of death. A ceremony is held next to the grave, which includes prayers, a few words about the deceased, and an unveiling of the matzavah. This unveiling reminds us that we will visit our loved ones' graves on the anniversary of their death and remember them for the rest of our lives. With no grave site to visit and therefore no gravestone to unveil, Sharon went into her backyard and started digging holes. She planted pink, white, and red rose bushes, the colors she addressed Alexa in when she was young. She hung a rainbow mobile from her acacia tree and ordered a wooden bench with metal armrests and an ornate scroll pattern to place in a shady spot under the tree. Then she went online and found a company that would make a small custom plaque for the bench. Sharon's head swiveled back and forth between her sons. What do you mean that's where you come in, Stephen? What does that mean? asked Sharon. Well, not in-in. It's not like I'm actually going to have sex with Marie, he said with a wink. Not unless she wants me to. Mike leaned over and punched his brother in the arm. We don't need your penis, dude. Just your sperm, he said. Her sons beamed at each other just like they had as children when they pulled one over on their mother. Two young men at ease with themselves and each other. Sharon watched them and marveled. It had been so easy for Stephen to accept his sister's transition from female to male, from Alexa to Mike. Stephen kept right on being Stephen, the sweet, 
funny, annoying little brother he had always been, except now he was teasing his older brother instead of his older sister. Sharon still struggled with her child's decision. Although some would say that Alexa and Mike were the same person, Sharon had seen her daughter all but disappear as Mike had emerged. She accepted and loved Mike for the man he had become, but that didn't mean that she didn't miss Alexa and the mother-daughter bond they had shared. Mike turned to his mother and asked, "'What do you think, Mom? Are you ready to become a grandmother?' The yard site is the yearly anniversary of a loved one's death. Jews light a yard site candle in memory of the deceased and recite the mourner's cottage. Several years have come and gone now since Alexa sat her mother down and announced that she was going to transition genders. Sharon poured herself a glass of wine and went out to her garden. She sat on the bench and admired the flowers she'd planted. On the back side of the bench where only Sharon could see it, was affixed a small metal plaque, which read, Alexa Renee Rose, Beloved Daughter, March 13, 1993 to August 1, 2015. Say not in grief that she is no more, but say in thankfulness that she was. Alexa, Sharon whispered to the flowers at her feet and the leaves of the tree overhead, It's a girl. This is Jill Heffron, and you just heard my story, It's a Girl. My writing is often inspired by conversations and interactions that transpire in my everyday life, and for whatever reason become lodged in my brain. When something gets stuck like that, I can spend hours ruminating, examining the issue from different points of view, turning it back and forth and around and around like a Rubik's Cube, until I find a way to put it into an order that is satisfying, such as creating a piece of fiction or creative nonfiction. In the case of It's a Girl, I had the opportunity as a college administrator to work closely with both domestic and international students who were part of the LGBTQ community and was often heartbroken and outraged when they shared their stories of parental rejection or even of a parent who had difficulty getting on board with their true self. It was my presumption that a good parent should and would fully support their journey without reservation or question. Then my cousin, who is one of the most loving and accepting people I know, shared the story of her child's transition and her own adjustment period and sense of loss as she transitioned from being the mother of a daughter to the mother of a son. This was the first time I had heard a mother's point of view, and I felt that this was a voice that also deserved to be heard. This interaction took place one year after my own mother's death, and hearing my cousin's story made me realize how universal grief is, and that we can suffer a great loss even when the person we love is still very much alive. This inspired me to create It's a Girl and to frame the story within the context of the Jewish rituals for the loss of a loved one in the year following their death. I hope you enjoyed my story. You've just heard It's a Girl by Jill Heffron, read by Tanya Lieberman. The Stories on Stage Davis podcast will be back in two weeks with a new story. 
In April, the Stories on Stage Davis podcast will be presenting a live virtual event with the Yolo County Library with a special headliner. You can find more info on our website in the coming weeks. The Stories on Stage Davis podcast is a sponsored project of Yolo Arts, a nonprofit arts organization, and supported in part by a grant from the City of Davis Arts and Cultural Affairs Program. Find upcoming episodes, view our archive of past episodes, and help support our series at storiesonstagedavis.com. Davis.com.